you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at laist.com sweeps. Hi, this is Larry Mantle, host of Air Talk on KPCC. Since the start of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had a daily segment on Air Talk devoted to the latest information about COVID-19. As time's gone on, we've looked at vaccines and how the virus and pandemic have affected the lives of Southern Californians. That includes doctors, nurses, epidemiologists, and other medical professionals fighting the virus on the front lines. In each episode, of this podcast, we'll speak with one of our experts on the rotating panel of AirTalk guests who will be sharing their expertise with us daily. You can also listen anytime at las.com, kpecc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. I'm Sharon McNary, in for Larry Mantle this morning, and Dr. Kimberly Schreiner from Huntington Hospital is answering your COVID-19 questions. Um, Doctor, the first question is about boosters. I'm planning to go get mine this afternoon, hoping that Kaiser will take me as a walk-in. L.A. County health officials uh, just released some numbers showing how many people are getting booster shots and who is getting booster shots. It's uneven. Nearly 5 million L.A. County residents are eligible for additional or booster dosers, but fewer people in the hardest hit, highest need zip codes are getting them, about 6.9% compared to 12.6% in other zip codes. What should the county and healthcare providers be doing to increase awareness about the boosters and the need for them in these communities? Well, it's a very good question, Sharon. And first of all, uh, what you're doing right now in uh, all of the wonderful information that AirTalk provides about COVID uh, with my many colleagues that have been on, on these shows uh, is very helpful for people to um, get the information out. We do feel that boosters are extremely important in protecting you, especially as we face the winter months. We understand now that the immunity elicited by the first two vaccines, if you had a two-shot series or the one vaccine by Johnson & Johnson, that that uh, immunity begins to uh, wane a little bit um, over about six months. And so we do recommend that at this point, everyone above the age of 18 get a booster if you're six months uh, away from your second shot with an mRNA vaccine or if you're uh, two months away from a J&J vaccine. So it really does increase your antibody levels, will help protect you, and it allow you to do all the things that we want to do in the, with the up, upcoming holidays. Uh, but are there specific things that you think could be happening to reduce the gap between uh, people in um, you know less hard-hit areas all over the boosters and people in the more hard-hit areas not, not turning out so much? Well, I think this, again, is getting the information out that boosters are an important part of creating immunity against COVID. Um, they are free. Uh, you can boost with either the same vaccine that you got. If you got Pfizer or Moderna, you can boost with either the same one or you can boost with a different one. So if you go to a local pharmacy and they don't have your specific vaccine, uh, you can boost with uh, either one of them with the mRNA vaccines. We recommend that the Johnson & Johnson people probably get a booster with an mRNA vaccine over um, over the another J&J vaccine. Uh, but they are widely available at many of the um, uh, pharmacies, the local pharmacies. There are some the public health departments have them. 
there's going to be continue to be some outreach into areas where we feel that there maybe isn't enough access to these uh, boosters. But it is important. It's free. It's it's for everybody. And again, if you're over 18, uh, just go get a booster if you're more than six months from your last vaccine. Now, the county says there's been success in getting boosters to skilled nursing homes. I mean, we know these places were hit very hard by cases and deaths early in the pandemic. Um, what are you seeing? How have things changed in those settings? Well, we, we certainly want uh, the uh, residents of nursing homes and assisted care facilities to be boosted because they are in the first group, the, high, the highest risk group, and were first authorized to receive the booster uh, when it was for, when it first they first became available, and we realized they were important. Uh, so it is important for health departments and for uh, medical people that are in charge of those communities to go ahead and get people out there and and uh, vaccinated. Um, and I think that there's been a pretty good rate of that. Um, we want to protect our most vulnerable population with our seniors and our uh, individuals that are living in congregate living situations. And so uh, that's really a very important part of controlling the spread of the virus as we move into the winter months and the holidays. Uh, Now, if you have questions for Dr. Schreiner on COVID-19, call 866-893-5722. Post your questions on the AirTalk Facebook page or tweet us at AirTalk or send an email, atcomments at kpcc.org. We love to hear what city or neighborhood you're in. Uh, Linda in Pasadena writes, I've been keeping track of COVID hospitalizations and it looks like the rate is really going down. Uh, to what do you attribute that decrease? Well, we are seeing a decrease in the hospitalization rate, which is very good considering what's happening in other states like Colorado and even some states uh, back east now. Um, that's attributed largely to the effect of uh, vaccination and boosters. Uh, we have uh, a relatively low amount of circulating virus um, at, the, at this moment uh, in L.A. County compared to other counties, California is a well-vaccinated state. But we are watching it very carefully because Colorado has a similar vaccination rate, uh, but they've experienced a really significant uh, uptick in the number of se- uh, severe cases. These are mostly unvaccinated individuals that are still coming in requiring hospitalization. We know that the vaccines, and especially a, a boosted person, a uh, person who's vaccinated and boosted, uh, that the likelihood that they'll have serious illness if they do contract COVID uh, and be hospitalized and die from it is very, very low. So we want to make sure that people understand that, that if you are, you received your first two vaccines, getting a booster will really lock in that immunity as we go through the hardest time of the year, the, the winter months. Well, we've got a few uh, listener questions, but first I wanted to ask about kids. Um, LA Unified School District officials on Monday announced that about 80% of students are on track to meet the district's vac- vaccine mandate. Students 12 and older had until Sunday to get their first dose. They have to receive their second dose no later than December 19th. But uh, we read in the LA Times, the current data means that 44,000 students have not met the deadline, and they might have to transfer to independent study when the next semester starts January 10th. Um, At the same time, the American Academy of Pediatrics also says COVID cases in kids are up more than 30% over the past two weeks. I mean, Dr. Schreiner, Europe has seen cases surge lately, driven in part by unvaccinated children and teens. Why is it important to get vaccination rates up among this age group? Well, they are the largest population that remains unvaccinated. And now that we have approval and uh, that the vaccines have been shown to be highly effective and safe in children, we really want uh, and encourage uh, parents 
uh, to get them vaccinated. Um, and I know that might be a little bit of a hard step for parents. It's one thing to say, I'm going to get vaccinated myself, but it's maybe another one to say, I'm going to do this for my child and you make the decision, not the child. On the other hand, uh, we know that COVID is increasing in children, uh, although it is generally not as severe an illness in children. It can be very severe, and children can develop one of the dreaded complications of COVID, the long COVID syndrome. They also, of course, can get this very serious and uh, very high mortality syndrome called the multi-inflammatory syndrome. Uh, and there have been almost 700 deaths of children throughout the United States, which is just its a preventable disease that's a preventable tragedy. And so the vaccines are the way to protect your child. You know, kids are going to school now, and although I find children to be much better mask wearers than adults, um, they are still in school, in, in classrooms where there's often uh, someone there who may have COVID. And so they are exposed to the virus a great deal more than perhaps the rest of us who are fully vaccinated and boosted. So it's very important that we protect all of the unvaccinated populations, whether it's young children, adolescents, young adults, also a very low vaccination rate among the 20 to 30-year-olds. It's just so important that we protect these populations from this highly infectious and very, very dangerous virus. We got a, a call from somebody who doesn't share their name. He says, or she says, I'm having a large family gathering where everyone has been vaccinated and most have been boosted, except for one person who hasn't been vaccinated at all and probably won't be receiving one. My question is, what's the best way for my guest to get COVID testing immediately upon their arrival so we can make sure they don't have COVID? And what is the limit for that test being valid? Oh, my God, there must be so many households where they're asking themselves that question. Dr. Schreiner, what do you think? Well, you know, it's a tricky uh, it's a tricky dance that we have to do. First of all, you know, we certainly encourage everybody to get vaccinated. And for those individuals who have not yet had a vaccine, the biggest concern I would have in that gathering is for that individual. It is possible for fully vaccinated, perhaps not boosted, but fully vaccinated people to transmit the virus. And somebody who's unvaccinated is very, very vulnerable. Uh, the virus is looking for unvaccinated people. That's what it's interested in because that's who it can infect. So that person is the person at the highest risk. Um, so, But we do have some tools now that we can do. And it's important that, in fairness, everybody does the same thing. So what I might recommend is if they can get their hands on some rapid tests, uh, the home rapid tests, all they're they are not perfect and they're better for people who are symptomatic uh, in terms of their accuracy. They can be used um, as a quick test when people um, come in the door and um, they can do the test uh, either in the morning of the event and then show the results or they can do it sort of right there. They're not as accurate, needless to say, as a nasopharyngeal swab and a very highly accurate PCR, but they can be a gross estimate of, of um, positivity, about, oh, about 75 to 80%, depending on the test. They're expensive. They're not widely available right now because I think there's been a lot of purchasing of them. You can get them on Amazon. Some pharmacies do carry them. So that's one option. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about Thanksgiving dinners costing $50 a person for takeout, adding, what, $20 a person for a gathering in your home? It's cheaper than getting COVID, but still, that that's that's a big cost. It's getting it's getting there, but I think as we move forward in the next many months and, and perhaps years, I think become very uh, easy and hopefully much more accurate. Uh, the other thing is to ask the person who's unvaccinated to have a test within 48 to to, to 72 hours. There's many urgent cares and uh, public health facilities that are still open right now, and that's not an unreasonable request. We require that in the 
um, in the general population when they go to a restaurant or an event. You had the Rose Parade uh, folks talking about that. So that's another option for that person who's not vaccinated to say, we want to protect you, we want to protect the guests coming here, could you please make sure you have a test before you come? You know, also encouraging people to be outside. We live in beautiful Southern California. It's going to be mm-hmm. a beautiful weekend and week. So that's another option to spend as much time outside as possible with a large gathering. Um, and, you know, when you're not around people or, when, excuse me, when you're around people and you're not eating, you know, wearing a mask isn't unreasonable. But for the vaccinated, boosted people, they're in very good shape. Uh, for the unvaccinated person, uh, it's a little risky for them. Uh, and I would recommend they get tested probably before the event and then maybe after the event as well. Right, right. Denise in Northridge writes in, uh, she says, I had my Moderna booster four days ago. Now I'm supposed to get a tetanus booster tomorrow. Is it okay to get other vaccines in close proximity to the COVID vaccines? It's perfectly fine, but I'm going to tell you that you're going to have a really sore arm. So if it's not urgent that you get a tetanus booster, might want to wait um, at least another week or so. Um, we can give these vaccines simultaneously. We can certainly give COVID and influenza together. Tetanus routinely makes people's arms very sore, and sometimes they can have a little fever. So I might give you a, recommend a little bit of distance between the Moderna booster and the tetanus shot if it's not urgent. Got it. Ellen in Santa Monica writes, I'm 80 years old, and I got the half-dose booster. My friend said I really should have gotten the full dose. I'm wondering if she she, she wants to know if she should go back and get another half-dose. No, you're, you're perfectly fine with the half-dose. Moderna is a higher amount of the spike protein um, sort of information, and that's why they dropped the boosting dose down to 50%, but it, it's going to elicit the same uh, immune response. You don't need to go back and get another half-dose booster. Does that mean you get only half as <laughs> uncomfortable the day after the booster? No, it's, you know, as most people will attest to, you'll have a, have a little reaction. And I did, I did want to say something. People think that if you don't have a reaction, that means you didn't respond to the vaccine, and that is not true. Uh, you're just lucky. Uh, but we know that the vaccines are very immunogenic, and they, uh, and they are certainly going to protect you. Well, that makes good sense. Um, so Steve tweets us at AirTalk, says, similar to the flu and other vaccines, will side effects from each additional dose or booster lessen as we're more exposed to the virus or vaccine? You're saying it's just individual. It does seem to be pretty individual, although I will say it does seem more common now uh, with the third shot. And remember, we kind of are guessing here a little bit in terms of the timing of these things. I got my boosters seven months after my second shot, And I hadn't had a reaction with the first two doses of Pfizer, but the third dose I had chills for about two hours. So, um, you know, again, that's your immune system saying, I know what this is, I know what to do. Uh, This virus is different than influenza. So, you know, whether we need to have, whether we're going to require or need another booster in six months or a year, we don't know yet. That's something going to be very important to watch. Um, And whether that kind of reaction at that point is going to still elicit a, a strong, some strong side effects, we also don't know that. But the side effect profiles are really even though they're uncomfortable, they go away, and they, the vaccines are very, very safe. Uh, Marcy emails us. Um, she says, we would like our 17-year-old daughter to get a booster, but she was rejected at a local Walgreens. She has underlying health conditions, and a booster was recommended by her daughter. How do we get her that third shot? I don't understand why her daughter doctor didn't just give it to her. But well, Many doctor's offices don't have the vaccine, mm. so I would recommend that she get boosted. Um, the doctor should write a note on a prescription or a letter saying that she has an underlying condition that requires, that puts her at risk for COVID, so she should be boosted. She absolutely should get a booster. Okay. Well, now I'm getting my booster today. I strategically took tomorrow off, um, and I'm planning to fly in early December. 
and do a hotel stay with a friend. So, I mean, it's going to be a lot of masks and staying away from people as much as I can. I've been super careful for a long, long time. But how much immunity am I going to have, uh, you know, in just another week or so? You know, you probably will have enough to do that. And, uh, you know, we, we do know that even in people who don't get boosted, that they, they still are protected from sort of the worst worst calamities of COVID, um, hospitalization and death. But it but they certainly can get sick. And that's really what prompted the CDC to move forward on the recommending boosters for everybody is that we know the immunity gets down low enough that you still can get pretty sick and certainly transmit the disease yourself. So, but I think in about 10 days, seven to 10 days, you should have a pretty nice response. And it's not, it's not absolute. You can't, you still have to do all the things that we normally do, wearing a mask, trying to stay socially distant, you know, that kind of stuff, washing your hands and so forth. But, um, but it certainly is a huge help uh, as we start circulating with other people and opening up our society. Well, I mean, while we're talking about the vaccines, you know, the idea of natural immunity is something that's been coming up a lot again, especially in terms of these vaccine mandates. People think they have more immunity if they've been sick with COVID um, and then they want to put off the shot. Um, It's something we've addressed before, but could you tell us what we know about the level of immunity someone gets from a prior COVID-19 infection versus the level of immunity they would get from a vaccine? So in the old days, um, often natural infection was more immunogenic. In other words, when you had the measles or you had chickenpox or something, uh, that you might have better protection when you had um, the disease rather than the vaccines, because the vaccines weren't all that good. They are much better now for both of those diseases. But um, but this vaccine, these vaccines are so highly effective, and this is such a highly infectious uh, virus that in this situation, the vaccines are protective for longer periods of time with higher levels of immunity. And that's been recently uh, put forth by a couple of studies that have been done. The CDC just announced some of that today. Um, And that's very important information. We want people who have had infection. Yes, you do have some immunity. We know that people who've had COVID once can get it again. We've seen that. We saw that early in the pandemic, especially when we had the emergence of the Delta variant. And so by being vaccinated, it gives you much better protection against things like Delta, which is the predominant variant still, and it's a very aggressive virus, and wow. it may last longer. So we recommend that after you've, your symptoms have resolved, a few weeks after that, go ahead and get your, um, at least get another shot. Maybe that'll be a booster since you had your natural infection, or you can get the normal series if you feel like doing that. But yeah. additional not home free vaccine is helpful. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about vaccination and booster symptoms. Uh, Some patients who've received the mRNA vaccines, that's the Pfizer or the Moderna, have reported swollen lymph nodes in their armpits. They may feel like a lump. It can even show up on mammograms. And that can be a very worrying sign for women, in particular those concerned about breast cancer. Um, Dr. Schreiner, give us some guidance on how to tell the difference so that happened uh, very early after the vaccination started being used. A couple of my friends experienced that as well. And what that is is your immune system. Those are the lymph nodes, especially usually they tend to be on the same side as the vaccine. Uh, those are the lymph nodes that drain the site of the, uh, where the vaccine is given. And so that is a normal response. That's your immune system going, oh, I need to make some cells, and this is the little place that I make those cells, and it gets large and starts starts doing that. Um, And so that's a very normal uh, uh, issue. It doesn't happen too often, but it's not an uncommon uh, side effect. Sometimes the lymph nodes can be a little bit painful. Uh, Sometimes they can have more than one, and they uh, generally go away after a couple of weeks. If they don't go away after a couple of weeks or they appear to be kind of fixed or you have other concerns about some other disease, 
then you certainly need to consult with your physician. Um, it was an issue with mammograms because some of the people that had scheduled their mammograms uh, had postponed it, and then they got their vaccine, and they scheduled their mammograms. Uh, it was showing up there. But a physician can tell pretty much the difference between a worrisome lymph node and then just a, what we call a reactive lymph node after you've had your vaccine. Oh, that should reduce uh, some concern. Um, John in Fullerton emails us. He says, we want to have the family over for Thanksgiving, but I'm immunosuppressed. What kind of test can assess my immune level after two shots of the Moderna vaccine? Is this something that's available to, for, for people to understand, like, you know, what their rate is at right now? Well, it, it should be interpreted by a physician who knows how to interpret it. So you can get a quantitative SARS-CoV-2 IgG antibody level, uh, but that should be the results should be interpreted by your doctor. Um, it, it usually is either detectable or not, or it can be relatively high. You know, but every everybody's numbers are different, so you can't compare. Well, my level was 70, and his level was 200. Um, but an immunosuppressed person, um, they should probably have a quantitative IgG level done. And uh, certainly that those people are candidates for not a booster, but a third vaccine if they had no response with the first two shots. So if he's immunosuppressed, it probably would be reasonable to check that. He might be a candidate for a third shot. And then those individuals, if they still don't have a reaction, will get a booster uh, there a couple months after that. So they'll actually get four shots. How accessible and available are those um, assessment tests? Uh, say the name of it again. Uh, SARS-CoV-2 IgG. Uh, or or some, sometimes just a SARS-CoV-2 antibody level, but you should, it's helpful to get a quantitative one, then you know what the level is. Some people have very low levels, but they still have detectable levels. Uh, so for an immunosuppressed patient, I would probably do a more sophisticated test. They're, they're available um, at most laboratories, LabCorp, Quest both do them, uh, hospitals can do them. Uh, and so a, a routine visit to the doctor's office, they should be able to, to get that. And, and are doctors uh, routinely providing those tests for people who are not immunosuppressed? No, and that, I don't want, it's, it's really not a test for someone who has, you know, no reason to check it. If they don't have any kind of underlying conditions, they clearly have responded to the vaccine. We don't routinely check that as a measure of response to vaccine. Uh, but for someone who has an immunosuppressive disorder, cancer or uncontrolled HIV or a severe autoimmune disease or something, that person's provider should probably check that just to make sure they've responded. Wow. Um, now, we had a question from Susan in Santa Monica. Um, I have the J&J vaccine. Susan writes, why does the doctor think I should be getting a different booster from the Johnson & Johnson one? So it's a very good question, Susan, and, and it's important. Uh, you can get the second J&J &J vaccine. That vaccine was originally designed as a two-part vaccine, uh, but it worked pretty well as a one-part vaccine, at least for a few months. But the it sort of uh, uh, the antibody levels diminish quicker with the J&J &J vaccine than they do with the mRNA vaccines. Now that we have some time to study these vaccines over about almost a year now, we can sort of see which one holds up the best, and J&J &J, uh, holds up the least. Uh, so I would recommend if I had received a J&J, &J, I would get an mRNA vaccine. It doesn't matter which one you get, Moderna or Pfizer, either one are, e are basically equivalent. But I probably wouldn't get a second J&J. &J. You can if that's the only vaccine available. Um, it's still a very good vaccine, and you will get a nice boost with it. But it, the boosting might be of longer duration if you switch into an mRNA uh, platform. We're talking COVID with Dr. Kimberly Schreiner from Pasadena's Huntington Hospital. We can take your calls, 
893-5722 or email atcommons at kpcc.org. Now, the Department of Health and Human Services today announced it has started sending about $7.5 billion to more than 40,000 rural health care providers in nearly every state to help ease financial pressures from the pandemic and help hospitals stay open. What do we know about the current case rates in rural counties around L.A. County? And is Huntington seeing any patients from those hospitals? Well, we certainly know that those are the areas right now where we have the highest concentration of disease. You know, there was an article in the paper this morning that talked about Fresno Hospital that's really pretty impacted and overwhelmed, and they're beginning to reach out to other hospitals outside of their geographic area for transfer. Huntington has traditionally accepted patients from outside hospitals to help ease their load when we can, and so uh, that may be happening right now. I don't know uh, if there's uh, what the ICU capacity is <clears throat> at some of the more local but rural areas, for eastern, uh, the uh, sort of eastern part of L.A. County or uh, that way. Um, I don't think we've been approached by Fresno, but that's, you know, we certainly do our part because we know that, you know, we're all in this together. So the hospitals are willing to accept patients as transfers from other places when it can be arranged. So those are areas that, that have had low vaccination rates, have a high incidence of disease. And so, you know, in, in anticipation of that and in response to that, we really need to get in there and make sure the vaccines are available for everybody to get vaccinated to prevent this from happening. So uh, in, in our last minute, um, Barbara in Hollywood wants to know uh, if you um, what, what's the latest thinking on whether a fourth booster will be needed in the next six months around April? I wish I knew, Barbara. I don't We don't know. We'll have to see how things go. It's possible the third one really locked it in. We hope that this is at the very least uh, an annual uh, thing so that we don't have to you know, do this all the time. It's, it's difficult and nobody likes doing it, but it's very, very important. So we'll see. I think it's possible that the third vaccine may have really locked it in, but we'll just have to follow what happens in the next six months. Thanks for listening to this episode of COVID in LA. If you'd like to stay up to date with the latest coronavirus news, you can listen anytime at las.com, at kpcc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. See you next time and stay safe. I'm Larry Mantle. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.